Welcome to Lost or Found with Dr. Michelle Choi, the podcast where we think about how we can live healthier, happier, and more fulfilled lives. The contents of this podcast and website are for informational purposes only and are not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, and or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you have regarding a medical condition and before undertaking any diet, dietary supplement, exercise, or other health program. And now, Dr. Michelle Choi. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining today's show, and thank you for listening. I can't believe it. What initially started off as delusional thoughts has become a reality, and now we're on episode 41. I'm enjoying the process, and I hope that you've been loving the show and that it's been helping you to honor aspects of your own life. Since we are a new podcast, the podcast is not well known. Please tell your friends, share the episodes that you like on social media. And for those that are having a hard time opening the podcast app, you can direct them to my website, drlosterfound.com. Please subscribe and write great reviews when possible as it helps the search algorithm. Basically, people can find this more easily. After working many years in medicine and seeing people suffer in different ways and oftentimes privately, it's made me wonder what we can actually do to ameliorate the pain, to let go of it, prevent illness, and live healthier lives. I believe that we have the answers to our lives inside of us, and perhaps we all need some help in unlocking this knowledge. You have more power to heal your body than you've ever imagined. Our well-being holds the key to our health, and maybe it ultimately takes trust and courage to live our best life. Don't give up. I think the things worth fighting for in life, especially our lives, takes not giving up. When we're happy or have feelings of love, oxytocin increases, and sometimes it's referred to as the love hormone, as it's released when you love someone or when you hold your child. It's associated with connections with people, empathy, trust, and sexual activity. Oxytocin also reduces inflammation by decreasing cytokines. And maybe you just need the right people in your path to guide you and root with you and for you. I also feel that when bad things happen to us, it's not meant to drown us or kill us, but it's something to think and reflect upon so that we get closer to our better selves. If what I say on this podcast resonates with you, I offer well-being consultations from the perspective of a medical doctor, and you can go to my website to find out more. Don't forget the truth. You are worthy, precisely as you are, and all you have to do is be brave enough to remember it. And if you keep on forgetting that, well, write it down. We know that promoting relaxation causes positive hormonal changes and returns the body to homeostasis, which can induce self-repair of the body. It's in the relaxed state when stress is reduced that the body can heal itself. And that's why sleep is also crucial because it's reparative. Meditation also helps to reduce stress and relax the body. According to Dr. Lisa Rankin in Mind Over Medicine, the body is designed to repair itself and positive belief, nurturing care, and the relaxation responses they induce set the stage for the body to heal itself. Our bodies and our health are a direct reflection of how we live our lives. Meditation is a great way to decrease stress, which we know is harmful to our health, but it's when we're quiet that it gives us greater access to that quiet voice within, the power or strength that we never knew we had. Dr. Herbert Benson is a Harvard cardiologist who is a leader in his research on the efficacy of mind-body medicine to counteract the harmful effects of stress. We talk about this a lot on the podcast, as I'm hoping that you and I will become better advocates for our health by being more in the know. While it's common knowledge that stress is linked with disease, this is something often not discussed in the medical office. I don't think doctors necessarily don't know this. It's just that when you have a handful of minutes to a visit, 
it's hard to have a meaningful conversation about anything. And if you look at the modern day doctor, well, oftentimes they look very stressed. I know because just a year ago, I was that doctor, overwhelmed, having constant thoughts of wanting to pound my head against a wall and whispering profanity wherever I walked in the office. But anyway, back to Dr. Benson. He worked with Robert Wallace and they studied people who practiced transcendental meditation, meditating for about 10 to 20 minutes. And they found physiological changes that accompany meditation. In those who meditated, there were significant drops in heart rate, respiratory rate, and metabolic rate. And in that study group, those who meditated had lower baseline blood pressures. Dr. Benson called this physical response the relaxation response, and in 1975, he wrote a book about this. Then Dr. Benson, a medical doctor, took it to the next level. Remember, I'm always very fascinated by medical doctors who decide to do something different as I ride out my midlife crisis. If meditating 10 to 20 minutes a day could result in health benefits, he wondered what happened in those that practiced advanced meditation. Think monks, like up in a mountain. He became friends with the Dalai Lama and was able to study the monks. He literally saw monks in only loincloths, meditating in freezing temperatures way up in the mountains in the Himalayas. Loincloths sound flimsy, and they are. In general, it's a one-piece garment that's wrapped, covers the genitals and the buttocks partially. And these monks meditated way up in the mountains in nothing but loincloths, and they didn't even shiver, nor did they become hypothermic and die. When these monks meditated, they visualized fires in their bellies, actually raising their body temperatures while their environment was freezing cold, to the point that it dried the sheets on them. This was a medical doctor describing what he saw. While Dr. Walter Cannon described the fight-or-flight response in the 1920s, the natural survival mechanism, Dr. Benson describes the counter-response, where relaxation allows for the body to repair the damage. The relaxation response helps to counteract the toxic effects of chronic stress by slowing one's breathing, relaxing muscles, and reducing blood pressure. Through his extensive research, he has found that there are many conditions that respond to the relaxation response, resulting in disease prevention, countering the damaging effects of stress on the body, and helping to treat certain conditions. Basically, this means that it can help you and it won't hurt you. And some of the conditions studied in his research are anxiety, mild to moderate depression, angina, cardiac arrhythmias, fatigue, hypertension, insomnia, rheumatoid arthritis, side effects of cancer, almost all forms of pain, PMS, and nausea and vomiting of pregnancy. Through the relaxation response and through meditating, his work shows us that you can visualize an outcome you wish to receive, like the monks in the Himalayan mountains visualizing the fires in their bellies so that they are warm in the snow when practically naked. He indicates that there are four essential components that can elicit the relaxation response. A quiet environment, a mental component such as a repeated phrase, word, sound, or prayer, a passive non-judgmental attitude, a comfortable position. So when you're craving relaxation because you're not feeling well or um, you're stressed, it may be a good idea to listen to your body. Your body is telling you an honest message and that perhaps it's time. Get to the point. Don't drown the goings-on in your body with alcohol or drugs. Get into a relaxing mode. Meditate. Chill out. Rest. Sleep. Take deep breaths. Exercise and think of a mantra like, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. Why? Because it may be the best medicine for you. And on today's show, I'm excited to speak with Nisha Sidhu. 
She is a mindful life coach who loves to empower others to be their best self with compassion, non-judgment, and authenticity. She is a meditation teacher and life coach, helping her clients to tap into their inner potential so that they can take inspired action towards their life goals and shine. You can find her on mindtreat.com. Hello, Nisha Sidhu. I'm so excited to have the chance to speak with you. Welcome to Lost or Found. Thank you, Michelle. I'm I'm so happy to be here with you and to meet you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. And, you know, thank you so much for being here. You know, I read about your journey and I find it so fascinating. Would you mind sharing your story? Sure. So currently I'm a life coach and meditation teacher. I live outside of Washington, D.C. in Maryland. And I'm a mom of two all grown up children. <laughs> They're 21 and 24 years old. Um, and I guess professionally, my story begins with um, I was a biomedical engineer and I did that for a while. And then when I had my first child, I decided to stay at home with him and be a stay at home mom um, when he was a baby. So, um, uh, you know, and, and I enjoyed that. Uh, it was a decision that was actually pretty easy to make um, because I, while I liked engineering, um, I didn't love it. It wasn't something which I wanted, you know, that I looked forward to when I would wake up in the morning. Mm-hmm. So um, then my second one came along, my daughter. And when she started preschool, I knew that I wanted to go back to work but um, not necessarily engineering. And I had always loved to bake and it had been a dream of mine to go to culinary school. (laughs) So when she started preschool, I started culinary school and became a pastry chef and then specialized in chocolate, became a chocolatier. (sighs) And and then in 2008, um, a dream came true and I opened up uh, my restaurant in Washington, D.C., which was chocolate-themed. Um, it was a restaurant. We also, along the way, had um, several uh, retail chocolate boutiques. We were a wholesale um, chocolate provider to hotels. So it was something which started as a very small project, and it just kind of grew and grew, and it was definitely a labor of love. Um, it was, like I said, it was, it was a dream come true. And, um, and I got to do that. And my, my children were younger. Um, so there were, you know, there were choices that, that had to be made. Um, the, my first couple of years, I was there all the time. Um, the kids were little, so I wanted to be there for them when they would come home from school. So I would make sure, you know, I would go in the mornings and then come back when they were home from school do homework with them, make sure I fed them. And then I would go back to the restaurant and we were a late night establishment. So Mm -hmm. I was there till till late at night. And that that cycle, you know, continued for the first couple of years. And then um, I was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis. This was just only a year or two after opening the restaurant. And, um, you know, never had any autoimmune issues in the past. And when it hit, it hit pretty strong. And it really, it forced me to, I had no choice because there were days I couldn't get out of the house. Um, it forced me to, to back away from work and sort of learn to delegate. Um, back then, I would have considered myself, you know, type A personality, control freak, perfectionist, all the things. And this moment in time really just forced me to, to back off and let others um, pretty much take over. Um, How many years ago were you diagnosed? So I was diagnosed in 2009, 2010. So so this was a while ago. Yeah, I had the restaurant in, um, it was in downtown DC. I had that restaurant for 10 years. And, um, you know, going through the ulcerative colitis, and then also I was in a very difficult marriage for 22 years. Um, That took a toll on me. Um, I had experienced, uh, depression, uh, when my daughter was first born. So it started as postpartum, but then morphed into clinical depression. Um, 
And because of going through these these challenges in life, I had sought out therapy and then later uh, life coaching for myself. Mm-hmm. And um, and it was in closing the restaurant, you know, after 10 years, this was like my my third child. It was like my baby. So it was it was something which could have been very difficult for me. But because I had learned tools like meditation and I had been through life coaching, I was able to apply whatever I had learned um, to the closing of the restaurant. So what could have been a very difficult time for me, um, could have taken me down that that rabbit hole of depression, really turned into something beautiful um, because I was able to... I. I don't know if I would have been able to put the words to it back then that I can now, but I was really able to be present with what was going on and um, just absorb all of the stories coming in from people who had been touched by our restaurant because we were, you know, a chocolate themed restaurant is a special occasion restaurant. So there were, you know, lots of stories coming in when we announced we were closing. Um, we even had you know, someone fly in from Chicago Aww. just just to, you know, eat one more time there. And um, I was just able to really take it all in and feel the gratitude for the moment. And I mean, it was to such a degree that it was almost like closing the restaurant was almost as fulfilling as opening the restaurant. I think that's so beautiful. I think that's so profound as well, you know, meaning in how you close the restaurant, because I would imagine it meant so much to you. It was a dream of yours as well, too. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So when I closed the restaurant, you know, people would ask me, what are you going to do next? Um, Are you going to open another restaurant, something else, you know, in the food industry? And I said, you know, I really because I was able to use these tools, the meditation and gratitude, Mm -hmm. the life coaching tools, I really want to share this with other people. And so it became this new passion of mine. So I say that chocolate was my first passion. (laughs) And this was this was my next passion professionally. Um, And so I took a year to um, really dive into my meditation practice. I had been already practicing for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, so now it, it's been about eight, eight or nine years now since I've been meditating regularly. Um, but I took a year to, you know, study mindfulness meditation, get my teacher certification, um, and came up and also studied positive psychology and personal growth and came up with the concept of mind treat which I opened back in, in 2018, um, 2019. And um, back then it was really about bringing meditation to people who wouldn't necessarily, typically, I'm on the East Coast, so it's not as popular as it is on the West Coast. So for me, it was about bringing meditation. And it made to now with the pandemic, <laughs> you yeah, know, exactly. how opportune, yeah. Exactly, yeah. Um, but it was more like bringing it to the to the corporate crowd. And so, like, for example, my my office was in a regular office building. We would meditate in conference rooms and I would train individuals to be able to meditate in in real day, you know, everyday life, because so often we learn meditation or we go on these beautiful retreats. And we, you know, feel super excited about it and we get back home and we expect it to be the same. And it's not because life happens, right? We have distractions, we have our busy schedules. And so it was really about how do I train people to um, just make it a daily practice and build it into part of their regular routine. So then the pandemic hit. (laughs) And Actually, even before the pandemic hit, before Maryland went into lockdown, I had been researching um, about life coaching and mm-hmm. how to become certified. And, um, you know, the timing just worked out perfectly because a lot of times whoever would come to me to learn meditation, it was because they were going through some sort of stress in their lives. And what I found was in teaching them the meditation it felt what I thought was coaching back then. So, you know, that's where the interest in life coaching, um, at least getting certified, came about. And then I decided to do the Jay Shetty um, certification school and mm-hmm. did that program. 
And that program was amazing. Um, it, it, it still is amazing. Um, the school had just started when I joined. So I was one of the founding students. Oh, wow. And, um, yeah. And it was just, it was such a transformative journey going through that process because it wasn't just about learning how to coach other people, but it was also a lot of the program is about working on yourself. Mm -hmm. And really going deep and being able to heal, you know, what were some of the past experiences and through that process, then learning how to empower others, you know, to do the same. So I did the certification and um, yeah, that's, that's where I'm at now. I'm a mindful life coach. <laughs> how wonderful. I find what you say so interesting because you mentioned that when, in general, when people are at the point in their lives where they seek meditation, it's like almost as if they need it. And I found your story very interesting because I heard you started meditating with your son initially. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah. So the way I was introduced to meditation was because of my son. So my son is on the autism spectrum. And when he was, he's 24 now, um, when he was in 10th grade, when he was in high school, um, I had come across an article. And again, keep in mind, like meditation was not popular back then. So it was, it was a little unusual, but I had come across an article that, that talked about how meditation was helping kids on the spectrum. Mm -hmm. And so I started doing some research and I came across transcendental meditation. And at that time, transcendental meditation, it had the most research behind it. And my son is a very logical thinker. He loves science and math. And, you know, and I knew that this wasn't going to be easy. How do I convince him that this mm -hmm. could be something that helps him? So I, you know, dug up all the articles and different videos and I showed him the research and, and I convinced him <laughs> to do it. But, you know, with throughout his life, um, the way the path that I've taken was a lot of the times to learn for myself what he was going to be learning so that I could help him along the way. So I decided to, to learn TM, learn transcendental meditation first. And this was in the middle of having the busy restaurant and dealing with, you know, mm -hmm. the UC and the difficult marriage. And I, I had no idea how stressed out I was until I started meditating those first couple of days, and mind you, everybody's experience is different, but those first couple of days for me, I had felt like I had almost taken a Valium. It was like someone had given me something. Wow. I was just so mm -hmm. calm. And now I understand the reasoning behind that is because I had never experienced calm, you know, because I was so stressed out. How long so did it take for you to the calm? Now or back then? Back then. So... I guess when we don't feel calm, like, I mean, we all live such stressful lives. How long did it take for you to feel a little bit of that calm then in your life with the meditation? I, I felt it right away. Uh -huh. um, some people, you know, some clients that I work with, it takes them a little bit longer. For me, I, I felt it right away. But it was really important, you know, um, I've always been the good student, <laughs> so it was really important for me to follow the rules. And what my TM teacher had told me was it's twice a day, 20 minutes, no matter what, you know, mm -hmm. and because I was able to keep that up, I, I felt, you know, I felt it right away. And it was interesting because I saw uh, changes in areas that I hadn't expected. For example, I was procrastinating less. And that was something mm -hmm. which, I, you know, nobody had even told me that that might happen. Um, with my son, we really didn't expect it, but with him, uh, he learned during the summer. And when he went back to school in the fall, one of his teachers had asked me, you know, is he on a new medication or something? Because he just wow. seems so much more relaxed. His shoulders are more relaxed. You know, he, he seems to have more clarity. And the really cool thing was he was actually empathizing with other students which I don't know how familiar you are with high functioning autism, but often they have difficulty reading social cues. Mm -hmm. And, you know, although he would relate to family members, he really didn't have any friends. He, he kind of lived in his own bubble. And the fact that he was actually able to empathize and show care towards other students was huge, you know, and, and now we know again, back then I didn't know, and I don't even think the study had come out, but now we know um, based on studies where they've actually done brain imaging studies on 
um, monks' brains that they definitely have that higher level of empathy and the brain imaging studies actually are able to show that. Yeah, and especially with like the hypothalamus, intuition and connectivity. May I ask you, what did, and I find everything you say so fascinating, what did meditation teach you then? You know, back then it was really just a stress reduction technique. Mm -hmm. And I think that's because I started with transcendental meditation and the way that they teach is um, they almost emphasize to the other extreme that it's not spiritual. It's not a spiritual practice. And so for, for years, I would say for five or six years for me, it was very, it was just very simply a stress reduction mm -hmm. technique. And it wasn't, it was only until recently, a couple of years ago that I actually started opening myself up to having it be more and having it be more spiritual and having it to be a way that I could connect with whatever, you know, my, my higher power, the collective mm -hmm. consciousness is. And I started noticing, you know, how it would help me open up my intuition as well. Um, when I had done the life coaching, my coach was also, um, she was a, a Reiki master and she was very much into energy. And so she taught me about energy prior to that. I didn't even know, like to me, the energy was, was the mm -hmm. science piece and I didn't even understand it. So with the meditation, it definitely brought me to a place where I could actually receive the information. Oh, interesting. So it almost added to your experience then knowing the energy work. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Knowing that, um, knowing that this was something which existed mm -hmm. and then being able to actually feel it while I was meditating, that was, that was the connection that needed to be made, which I feel like it's almost like, you know, those first few years, that connection wasn't there because I wasn't open to it. Yeah. And you know, whenever you meet someone who does meditate a lot, they do exert this like inner calm, peace and joy. I mean, it's like, you're right. It's like, uh, <laughs> a healthy Valium in a way. I mean, you can tell from how their energy feels that they're doing something or that they're actively or they're present. Can I ask you how important is being in the now? And when do you know that you're in the place of presence? It's really when I'm not thinking about something that already happened and I'm not worrying about something that hasn't already happened, right? So Sometimes with mindfulness meditation, it's not about clearing the mind. It's not about, you know, getting rid of the thoughts because it, that's physically impossible. There's no way to completely clear your mind. And that's something which, which you can do when you're meditating is to just observe your thoughts and identify them. It's a fun little meditation game that you can do. Um, it's not the deepest way to meditate, but it is something that's very useful in uh, tuning into whatever your self-talk is and identifying whatever comes up to your mind, you know, is that the past or is that the future? And then that becomes sort of a trigger to say, no, present. And then we use an anchor to come back to the present. And that's something which you don't only have to do when you're meditating, right? That's something you can do throughout your day. One of my favorite techniques to use whenever I feel like, you know, I'm just you know, uh, and, and it's funny, like how you mentioned that you can tell when people have been meditating for a while, <laughs> that they have this talk. don't be fooled <laughs> because we still, we still get pulled away and we still get very emotional yeah. when we need to be, but, but you understand your maintenance, you know, like you yeah. understand what you need to do to go back in. Exactly. When, when many of us, yeah. When many of us are so distracted or we're so busy, that we're like all over the place, like literally and figuratively. Right, right. Yeah. So one one of my favorite techniques to use is to come back to my senses. And this is mm -hmm. something you can do anywhere at any time is to just notice like what am I seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, feeling. And that just, you know, automatically will bring you back to the present. The other technique, which a lot of people talk about is deep breathing, you know, and, and specifically breathing, exhaling for longer than you inhale so that the parasympathetic nervous system is, you know, triggered right away. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, it's, 
it's a practice, right? It's not like mm-hmm. once you know it, boom, you're done. Like life <laughs> constantly, like just it throws you these curveballs and you have to remember to use them. In fact, I had a very fairly recent curveball. Um, if, if you like, I can I can share that with you. Yes. <laughs> so I actually, most of my 2021 has been uh, difficult in the, the physical sense. I've been dealing with some consecutive health issues. And um, in uh, about, it's been four or five months now, I developed a severe case of ocular shingles. Mm-hmm. Um, the worst pain I've ever experienced in my life. I'm, I'm still, I still have the post-herpetic neuralgia, so I'm still having some pain. Um, but it, it lasted for a while. I, you know, was very sensitive to light. My eye was swollen shut for a week. Um, I about spent almost a month in darkness because I couldn't handle the light. And, you know, those, the first, I would say the first week or two, um, I had forgotten everything. I had forgotten all of this, my spiritual practices and everything that I had learned because in that moment, the pain was just so intense and the disruption to my life was so intense. I had, my life was on hold. There was nothing that I could do about it. Um, and it really took me a good week or two before it was like, uh, hello, Nisha, wake up. You know, mm. you have these tools, you know what to do that I then started to put them into practice. The, the meditation was very difficult because it was this constant, huge pain but I could certainly do the deep breathing. I could certainly try to meditate. Um, And then reframing everything into gratitude was huge for me. Reframing um, in my, my body is fighting this into my body is working for me, you know, or this is going into that victim mode of, oh, why is this happening to me? Like I I meditate Mm -hmm. every day, right? Like I do all these things. Why, why is this happening? Um, and reframing that to know this is happening for me and this is happening for a reason, you know, and, and maybe this is the universe trying to tell me something that, that I need, need to wake up to. Interesting. I love how you were saying, you know, you're forming your, you're reframing your reality. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. It's really important for our well-being to be able to to have that capability, um, because it's our brains are are wired to go down the negative path, right? That's something which we 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 can't control. That's just evolution. That goes back to the hunter gatherer, you know, our survival instinct. It's wired for that. So knowing that the tendency is to go to the negative and then having that awareness and then being able to reframe it is, is key for our well-being and our joy. And that, the fact that we can. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Do you feel better? I do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. You know, because I had gone through a health scare when my ulcerative colitis had those years of it being bad. I I was able to recognize how different this experience, this more recent experience was for me, Mm -hmm. you know, and how I was able to, to just get through it. And then certainly having, you know, that spiritual connection and having that knowing, having that faith, right. That, that things were going to be okay. Um, that, that like trust. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Sometimes I wonder if meditation is like a cocooning, you know, like when you meditate, sometimes I wonder when you feel like you're more in the present, it's like you're, you feel loved, you feel secure, you feel trust, you feel, you have faith that things are going to be okay, that you're taken care of. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's a cocooning. So it can be a cocoon in a positive way. It can be a cocoon in a negative way too. (laughs) So I will share that when, when we're meditating, we are releasing the feel good chemicals. So Mm -hmm. we are, we are releasing dopamine. And sometimes there are people who become addicted to meditation. So on on the one hand, it can, but on the other hand, we're also receiving or releasing some of the more productive feel-good chemicals like oxytocin. 
And with oxytocin, I mean, obviously, like you can just place your hands on your heart and you will release oxytocin, right? Mm -hmm. So that's, that's, and that's the chemical where we feel the love, we feel the compassion. And so definitely during meditation, it it is, it it can be that, that safe space that you go to whenever you need that little, that little boost of love that comes internally. You're not, you know, seeking it externally as in form of validation. What a beautiful thought. I found what you said really interesting, how um, you felt ocular shingles. And I know that's really painful. That it happened for a reason. What do you think the reason was for you? Mm, Yeah, that's a really good question. So um, it goes, I go pretty deep on this because, you know, again, I I had been through therapy in the past. I had been through life coaching and and I've been through different challenges in my life. And I feel like during those periods in my time, I had worked, worked on them, but I had really only worked on them surface level. I had never done any deep trauma work. And I have mm-hmm. had a series of, of traumas, significant traumas throughout my life that I feel needed to be addressed. And it's interesting because with, with shingles, it's the chickenpox virus, right? It's the, the virus that we get when when we're children, that still stays in the body. And then with shingles, it, um, I mean, you're the doctor, you can mm-hmm. explain it. It lays dormant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's dormant. And then it, it comes out when we're either under a lot of stress or we're immune compromised. In my situation, I was immune compromised because I was going through um, an ulcerative colitis flare for three months mm. prior. Okay. And so, um, so it's interesting, you know, that, that this is a virus that, that, starts in childhood. And for me, the spiritual connection was, I needed to still heal some of those childhood wounds, some of the traumas that that I had been through. So I only just recently, the my pain level has gone down to where I feel comfortable enough to actually do some of that deeper trauma work, trauma work. And so I've just started working um, with somebody, a couple of people, actually, um, a therapist who does EMDR, um, you know, that's the eye movement desensitization that's that's been shown to be really effective for people with PTSD and, and other types mm-hmm. of traumas. Um, and also someone who is not only is she a master Reiki healer, but she also does somatic emotional release, um, which is can be really, really powerful. Wow, Nisha, you're so courageous. <laughs> Good for you. Thank you. Yeah. You know, I feel like I was almost forced into this situation. You know, my personality has always been to to absorb absorb it, absorb mm-hmm. others' energies and absorb whatever is thrown at me and to bury it. And I don't know whether that's genetic or maybe even cultural because I come from a South Asian background, you know, that um, you know, it was, we don't show our emotions. We, we carried in being strong is good. And being strong means you, you keep it to yourself, you know, whatever the cost. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And, and that was my life for so many years. And when we do that, it, it ends up getting stored in the body energetically, and then it ends up manifesting itself, you know, physically. And that's what I believe happened with my ulcerative colitis to a certain extent. And that's what I believe is, has been happening to me now. And I think that it's so important, especially for people, especially like for doctors and nurses and caregivers to really, because we are constantly anybody who is working with other people, you know, in the service industry where we are absorbing others' energies, it's really important to have somebody that you talk to so that you can release whatever it is you're going through, whether that's a therapist, whether that's a life coach, you know, or whether that's just a close friend or loved one, but it is just so important to talk it out. I absolutely agree. I think so many of us are absorbing other people's energy, not necessarily our own. And I think we really need to be aware of that, you know, so that it doesn't affect our own health. Right. We think, oh, we can just suck it up and get through it, you know, and plow through it. Those are like the worst words I've ever heard. (laughs) Suck it up. Whenever I hear that, like I cringe inside. I'm like, oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. But a lot of us, we've we've grown up that way, right? To to think that that's the way to do it. But but to look strong when it's only looking. 
Exactly. You know? It's how am I perceived by the outside world that can just yeah. that, you know, those limiting beliefs can just be so detrimental. And what if you're really real? Like what could happen? Right. You right. Know? Exactly. Yeah. What do you think about this statement from Buddha? I mean, with everything you've been through, I kind of wonder um, how you feel about it. Buddha said, the secret of health for mind and body is not to mourn for the past, not to worry about the future, or to not anticipate troubles, but to live in the present moment wisely and earnestly. With everything you're going through, how does that relate to you? Yeah, with everything that I've been going through recently, it absolutely relates. Because it wasn't when I was feeling the pain, and when I am feeling the pain, it's not about... trying to get rid of the pain. It's about really being present with it. And, you know, this is a little embarrassing, but I'll share with you that I would talk to my nerves, you know, Mm -hmm. I would treat them like little children. And I would think of it like, they're like little kids asking for attention. So whenever they would fire, whenever the pain would start, I would, I would say to them, like, I hear you. It's okay. I hear you. I know you're trying to protect me, but guess what? I'm okay. You know, there's nothing to protect. You're just a little confused right now. And so I really believe that it is about being present with whatever, whether it's physical pain, whether it's emotional pain, whatever the emotions are, it's important to just not, you know, try to numb the pain or numb the emotions, but to really just be present with them because mm-hmm. they, they are, they're like little signals, whether it's good or bad, they are little signals um, in, and little hints that, you know, something needs to change or something needs to be done or something needs to be processed. And when you can use them in that way, you know, rather than worrying about them, um, life just becomes so much, you know, so much more joyful. And, you know, most of the time when we are feeling physical pain or emotional pain, we do jump to, to the distractions and to the numbing and that just, and I'm not, I'm not saying that there isn't a time or place for distractions because there is, you know, but it's how are we managing them? So are we letting them sweep us away or are we saying, okay, well, I need a break right now. I'm going to watch TV for an hour. You know, I'm going to watch something funny that's going to make mm-hmm. me forget about what's going on right now, this pain. And, um, and that's okay. That's okay, too. It's, it's not that we we should never do them, but they just should be healthier distractions, really. Yeah, that's so fascinating. Because I think I think with pain, sometimes when pain really occur, when pain occurs, we listen to the louder message of pain instead, instead of the deeper meaning of why that pain is there. And I, I, I wonder if like, we're really present in the present if we can really honor the past and the future that way, if that's a better way when we're really in the present. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because there's also, I'll give the example of like when you stub your toe, right? You stub mm-hmm. your toe and where does the mind go? The, the pain is there. Yes, it's very painful. Yet the mind starts racing and starts thinking, oh my gosh, did I break my foot? Oh my gosh, do I need to see a doctor? oh my gosh, when is this pain going to stop? Like the mind starts spiraling out of control and that actually ends up increasing whatever, you know, our impression of the pain is. But if we're able to be present and allow the pain without any judgment, and this is something which mindfulness teaches us also, is when we're able to just do that without any judgment, the pain subsides. So if you've ever noticed when you stub your toe, all of a sudden the pain is gone, you know, and whereas it's, it's all those other surrounding thoughts that can make the pain linger and increase. When you talk to your pain, like it's one of your children, did it make <laughs> you feel better? It did. It did. Um, I can't say that like it was an instant fix or mm-hmm. something like that. Like it completely went, went away, but it just made the pain more manageable and it made it easier to handle instead of going to a place of, Oh my gosh, do I need to take, another medicine? Or do I need Mm -hmm. to call the doctor right away? Because then that just would create anxiety. And I will share that I during this period, it has triggered anxiety, some health anxiety in me. Um, But also, again, having these tools and knowing how to manage them has, has been huge to managing the anxiety. Or even like knowing your feelings and your thoughts, how you can affect your reality that way. 
Right. By exactly. knowing that. You know? Exactly. Um, do you think, so I read that, you know, when the spirit is grounded and present in the body, that, that that's when we are our true and full selves. You know, I wonder if that's really the case. If when we're in our bodies and we're present, then like, what can't we do? It just seems like the fuller self, like all yeah. of ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. And when we're present in our body, we go beyond the body, right? So we're not mm. only present to ourselves, but we're we're present energetically to because the physical form is, is very limited, right? But the energetic form is huge, it's vast. And then we we tap into this connection with with all living beings on our planet that can really be just it's just such a beautiful feeling. Can I ask you, when you meditate, do you have a sacred place? Um, I have I have different places that, you know, I favor. Uh, I don't have a specific place that I mm. always meditate in. And this is something which I teach my students, too, is to play around with, with different areas in your home. Um, and, and that may change. You may go through a phase where you like one particular area and, and another. But, um, you know, one of my favorite spots is really these days is outdoors is mm -hmm. to, to meditate outside. So my morning meditation, that's what I do. You know, I, I'm, I'm blessed enough to have a beautiful deck outside my room. So I just I sit out there and I meditate in the morning. My afternoon meditation, um, I have it's, I'm actually right next to it. I have a beautiful couch and directly opposite the couch I have. Um, things that have special meanings to me, whether they're different sayings or whether they're they're different objects. And a fun thing which I love to do is when I first open my eyes after meditating is to see where which direction I'm looking at. And mm -hmm. I take that as a cue, you know. Um, it, it could be something as simple as let that shit go. I mean, I'd have to find in front of me that, that says that or it could be like a beautiful uh, heart that my daughter had given me when she was Truth. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. This may sound silly, but where do you go in your head when you meditate? Is there a certain place or where are you? You know, every every time I sit to meditate, the thousands of times that it's been, it's a different experience. There are days when when I have my thoughts are all over the place, you know, and then mm -hmm. there are days when it's very deep. And one of the things which I share with my students, too, is to recognize whether you have a thought-filled meditation or you have a deep meditation, both are equally beneficial when we are trying to build a regular practice. Because otherwise, if we end up judging our meditations as being really good or really bad, if, if we hold mm -hmm. on to that feeling of, oh, you know, I call it the bliss field when, when I'm in that deep state. If I hold on to, oh, I, I need to reach that bliss state, I'm not able to let go. And the whole mm. point of meditating is to be able to let go and to just be present. Just so, do it. Exactly. Exactly. To just do it, whatever the experience mm. is. You know, if your mind is racing, that's okay. The main thing is that you you sat there and, you know, rather the thoughts are, are opportunities. If we didn't have the thoughts, we would never build our muscle for returning back to the present, you know, mm -hmm. or returning to whatever anchor we're using. Um, without the thoughts, it would, it's, it's kind of like, almost like you need the negative in order to appreciate the positive. So it's it, true. Yeah. To really, you really, I think in order to really appreciate the positive, sometimes the negative helps, you know? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I can't tell you, yeah, how much I appreciate now waking up in the morning, you know, and if, if it's a morning where I don't have any pain, um, I would never have that level of appreciation before and, and being able to appreciate my body and what it's been able to do and how it's been able to heal and recover. Um, I never would have had that appreciation before. Yeah, I think even though it would feel great for love to exist all the time, I think we learn more when love is not always there as painful as that is. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I, I, I'm a huge believer in growth mindset, you know, mm -hmm. and in order to build any sort of resiliency, we have to go through challenges. And sometimes it's hard to grapple with, you know, like, again, we go into the victim mode of why is this happening to me, mm -hmm. as opposed to this is happening for me for, for a reason in order to help me grow. Yeah. And that yeah. latter thinking is so much more empowering. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. 
Uh, when you meditate, do you ever ask questions? Have you ever heard answers? Or do you see answers mm -hmm. in your life? Yeah, sometimes I I get the answer before I even ask the question, which is which is cool. <laughs> it's like you don't even realize that you had this question, but yet you hear the answer and then you're like, oh, that's really neat. Um, you know, so there are different ways that I meditate. And, and one of the things that I do is at the end of whatever the time period is, whether it's 20 minutes um, or longer, is I, I go through I go through my day you know, or the previous day, if it's a morning meditation, just finding all the different things or people that I'm grateful for. So I, I literally scan through my day. And then if there's something which I, I'm just wondering, I, I will, I'll ask the question. Um, and sometimes it won't be very clear. It might just be something uh, visual. Sometimes mm -hmm. it might even be a past memory that is mm -hmm. something indicative of, of what the answer is. So it's, it's fun to play around with, but I don't take it too seriously. You know, all this stuff, I think that life is, it's not about being serious. It's about having fun. And when we do take things serious, that's when like the control mm -hmm. comes, issues come into place, you know? Yeah. So it's just I like how you explain that. It's like the fluidity of knowledge and, you know, information, you know? Right. Exactly. Like it flows. And right. you can take what you need, but it's there. Right, exactly. And having the faith that it's coming to you for a reason, right? Mm -hmm. So a lot of times the universe will will send us messages and we're, we're not ready to hear them. So the, what happens is the universe just gets louder and louder with its messages until it is the right moment for us to be able to receive them. Yeah. I think knowing how important being in the present is for our health and well-being it concerns me that many of us are like not living in the present. Like most of us, I believe, are not living in the present. We're like out of the present. Like how many of us are so busy? We're so worried. We're so distracted. You know, we overanalyze or we feel fear, anxiety, or even depression, you know? Yeah. But again, like that's part of being human too, mm -hmm. you know, like it's impossible for anybody unless, you know, you're sitting up on a mountaintop completely isolated from society. It's impossible to always be in the present moment. So mm -hmm. again, you know, it, it is, it, there's so much more awareness now than there was even as little as five years ago um, around being mindful in our lives and about the importance of being present. So it's it's just reminding yourself to have self-compassion and to understand that these tools are here. And, and once you learn the tools, you have them for life, right? So that's why I love to teach meditation to, to young adults and, and to children also, because even if they're not ready to fully embrace it right now, they've learned the technique. So whenever they need it and later in life, they have it. I find that to be a really compelling thought, Nisha, because basically I feel like you're saying it's meant to be experienced. It's not meant to be ignored, but it's meant to be experienced so that we can all find our answers, whatever they are. Exactly. Yeah, because we're all different, right? We all mm -hmm. have different answers. We all have different questions. We all have different journeys. So it is really important to think of it that way. When I was reading about meditation, like in preparation for this interview, I came, I came upon the idea of entanglement, and I'm not a quantum physicist, but the idea is that two mic microscopic particles um, can instantaneously affect each other at a distance. And physicists believe that entanglement exists everywhere all the time, even in the larger world that we live in. And I bring this up because this kind of suggests that particles can be also be entangled across time, bringing up the idea that the future can affect the past. And what if like meditation is healing, not just for the now, but if there's another aspect for our past as well? Yeah, that's, that's beautiful. Yeah, I, I do believe it. Um, I do believe in manifestation, you know, and, and that is something which until you experience it, it is difficult to, to believe in. And this is where, you know, science meets spirituality. And for people like I, I myself for so many years was was just science, 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 and didn't understand the crossover with spirituality. 
but but it's true. I mean, in terms of, of energy, you know, and, and I, with my coaching clients, we've seen this over and over again. When we start to make certain improvements in one area of our life, other things just magically fall into place, mm-hmm. you know, because there is that energetic impact. So it's not just with, with specific molecules or substances where, where we see this, but we see this on a much broader spectrum as well with life in general. Yeah, I find it so fascinating because if you think of it like as if every moment in our time, you know, if time, you know, goes beyond, but if you pull on the string and every like moment is connected by a string, then if we pull on that string in at this moment, it can affect how that string is pulled in the past and possibly the future. I mean, we can have impact by helping ourselves now. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and that's why, you know, earlier when we talked about doing deep trauma work and healing the inner child, that's why it is so important because whatever, whatever our memories are, it's how the brain or the subconscious has stored them. Right. So by working on yourself in the present, you absolutely, you can heal the past. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Do you feel like your life flows more easily and effortlessly since you've meditated? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, Since I've meditated, but I think more so since I've made the spiritual connection. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, definitely, again, like in the beginning, it was just a stress reduction technique. It made life easier to handle. Um, Not easy, but easier (laughs) to handle. Um, But when I was able to make the spiritual connection, that's when I really felt, felt the flow. And, you know, I'm a work in progress. Like it, it's definitely letting go has, has been a journey for me and letting go in all different areas of my life. And it's something which I'm constantly having to work on, just like with the meditation being a practice, um, letting go and letting life just sort of flow. It's a constant practice as well. Do you think meditation, um, for for most people, do you think meditation eventually leads to greater spirituality? It can, if you're open to it. I don't think that it's sort of like a prerequisite. Some people uh, open up to spirituality in other ways. They may connect with nature. Um, they may connect with, with other people. Um, it's not necessarily that they need meditation to do that. But most certainly meditation can be whatever the catalyst is that you need to reach that place. Mm -hmm. Or like what you said before, you were saying initially when you started practicing transcendental meditation, for you, it was for stressfully for many, many years. Right. Before you decide to expand it. And we can control, I guess, perhaps what meditation can mean in all of our lives or what we need. Yeah, exactly. And that may change, right? Depending on whatever phase of life you're in or what experiences you're going through. It may be one thing today. It may be something totally different, you know, next year. <laughs> you know, uh, this may sound a little silly, but I love the meaning of namaste. The light within me honors the light within you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's, it's so beautiful. Like, our energies or how we're much more than what we think we are, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love and that. We're connected possibly. Right. Right. Absolutely. Nisha, thank you so much for such an amazing and beautiful conversation. How can people oh, find you? Thank you. Thank you. Um, I am at mind treat on social media. So on Facebook and Instagram and it's mind treat spelled with a Y. So it's M Y N D T R E T. And I'm also, I have my website. Um, People can sign up for meditation training. Um, It's a two-day training. When you're ready to, you know, make it a regular daily practice, come find me. It's a two-day training, about an hour to an hour and a half each. And then uh, we do about one month of check-ins. And then um, I have life coaching programs uh, where I work more longer term. I have two months and then six-month packages. Um, And then I also want to mention, I have a free meditation group that I do every Tuesday and Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern. You don't need to register anything. You just hop on the Zoom link. Um, It's a small group. It's something I started when the pandemic started, and I've just continued it because it's been a great way 
for everybody to bond. And, and all my sessions right now are via Zoom. So the, all of my sessions are virtual. So it's really cool. I get to work with people all over the world and in different countries and stuff. But my website is mindtreat.com, M-Y-N-D-T-R-E-A-T.com. And thank you for your beautiful contribution to our world. <laughs> oh, thank you, Michelle. Thank you. And I can say the same, same about you. Thank you so much for all the work that you're doing. See you next time on another edition of Lost or Found. Please don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and tell your friends. Thanks for listening 